I thought you told me my car was going to be repaired. Please sit down. I don't want to sit down. I want to know why nothing's been done to my car, why it's just sitting out there. Primarily because you won't be needing it anymore. No, why? Because you are never going to leave Peaceful Valley. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Straight Highways. I am Paul. And I am Terry. And I hope you guys um, uh, figured out that knocking noise that was nearby, you know, and then, um, I don't know, you sent your deep sea diver down multiple times and then you did not give him a stake. I hope that's what happened. And next time you put up your no soliciting sign. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, weird, weird that there's more stake talk in this episode. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what? Why is there this ongoing theme of promised stakes that aren't delivered? I think I, Lafferty wanted it. I, I, like, I, I like it. It's like, if you look up on IMDb, it's like Quentin Tarantino, trademark, feet. It'd be like, uh, trademark, Perry Lafferty, promises of stake, not delivered. Like, that would be a weird, a weird thing to sneak in there, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, that would be a weird trope. It'd be like, it'd be like Alfred Hitchcock every single time. It's like, we always talk about the main course, but it never shows up. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, uh, this episode, it's uh, season four, episode three, Valley of the Shadow, uh, air date um, January 17th, 1963. Uh, number one film is still Lawrence of Arabia, uh, rightfully so. Number one song, which I wrote is number one song, uh, whatever, there, there goes my notes again. Go Away, Little Girl by Steve Lawrence. I listened to this song. I did it as well. It is creepy as all get out. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, how was this number one? Yeah, it, it's like it has a good like melody to it, but yeah. the, the lyrical content is very off-putting. And like the guy singing too is just like, I just I just feel like he is like staring at somebody the entire time awkwardly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, just, I, I felt strange. I, I ended up like just turning it off. <laughs> It's like, I don't like this at all. I'm like, bring back Telstar by the tornadoes. I would listen to that all the time. But yeah. yeah. All right. So on this date, actually, that's not true. I, I found news that was going to happen two days later. And I don't know if you have news for, for the Dude, date. I tried so hard to find something that was going on like this an entire week. Yeah. So this one, uh, just <laughs> because this is the things that we're dealing with. And uh, so on January 19th, which is a Saturday, so two days after this this episode aired, uh Hermine Brownsteiner, I'm going to say Hermine Brownsteiner, formerly a supervising warden at the Ravensbrück concentration camp and known as the Stomping Mare because of her use of steel studded jackboots to kick inmates. And by inmates, they mean, you know, people kept in these camps, you know, like uh, uh, became a naturalized citizen of the United States, you know, on this date. 
Uh, acting on a tip from a Nazi hunter, Simon uh, Weisenthal, I'm messing that up, I'm sure, the New York Times would expose her in 64, her citizenship would be revoked in 71, and in 73, she would be ex- extradited to West Germany for a trial as a war criminal. In 81, she would be sentenced to life imprisonment, released after 15 years for health reasons, including the amputation of her leg, because since she was one of the stomping merits of very ironic you know, existence, she would die in 99. But it's like... Holy crap. Like, I didn't know this story. This is uh, crazy. Yeah, that's uh, that's not good. I and mean, I like how the uh, karma's a bitch and it came right back at her. Well, I mean, it, it got to her and then she still stuck around, though. Like, yeah. uh, did, So there's that Netflix documentary, was The, the Devil Next Door. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd seen that or not. I've heard about it. Everybody tells me to watch it. Well, yeah, because it's about a guy who was a former, well, supposedly, and it you know, twists and turns and you find out the reality. Spoiler, this guy was a Nazi war criminal, but living in Parma. Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, "Well, I've been living in Cleveland since the year 2000. I never heard the story about uh, the Nazi living in Parma in like the 70s. I never heard that story. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll have to dive into that. It's only like four or five episodes. It's a there's a little stretching in it, but it's a really fascinating story. Like it's like I feel like some of the Netflix shows are. I mean, how many episodes can we get out of this? It's like this one was like five. And that was a good number. And it's like, they're like 45 minutes each. It's like, you know, I mean, granted, this is the story of someone doing horrible things. So I don't know how you put a time frame on that, but in terms of like watching it as like a bingeable crime, real crime documentary, it, it, for me, sometimes I can't commit to big, big things. This was like the perfect amount of time to watch something. See, that's good to hear because I, there are some document documentaries that I've watched and I'm like, Oh my God, you guys had this much time to devote to this. Yeah. So, but yeah, the devil next door is crazy. So yeah, in the state, um, Ermine Braunsteiner, I just, uh, that's a fun name to say, but it's a terrible person, uh, became a naturalized citizen of the United States. Not good. Um, and then, uh, the, we'll, we'll, we'll mention, keep that in mind when we get to the very end of the episode. I'll just, I'll just say that I'll tease that. Um, so let's just get into uh, cast and crew. This was directed by Perry. Uh, I promise stakes, but don't deliver Lafferty. Um, this was his third and last directing a twilight zone. So interesting that we now have like a, a very specific sample size of directors for season four episodes. <laughs> like, cause we only have three. Yeah. A snippet. Um, you're done. Yeah. And it's like in three very different stories. And I don't know if we ever saw like a style uh, come out. From... I, I didn't sense any kind of style that carried over to each episode. No, I, I there is some stunt stuff that kind of like, not stunt, like there's some effect stuff that happens in this episode that I'm, I'm surprised at how they made it happen. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But yeah, I mean, very workmanlike. I mean, it's not, it's not like these were all poorly directed. It's just, they were kind of there. That's yeah. my, that's my opinion. Uh, this was written by Charles Beaumont, um, uh, which I I did not get any more information about where the origin of the story came from. I'm sure there was probably a short story or something because that's where he always cribs from. Um, and I just want to mention too, this music was it was taken from another episode of the Twilight Zone that was actually written for Hundred Yards Over the Rim, which is a the music's really good and that episode is beautifully beautifully done. And um, oh shoot, the main actor in that was uh, Uncle Ben in the the um, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. Oh, cool. um, what's his name? Shoot. Anyway, I, my brain, I promise you guys is not going to fire all cylinders tonight. So I, I just bear with me. But anyway, that was, a, it was a, a lot of good things in that episode. The music was one of them, but yeah, yeah. season two, episode 23. Yes. So I go back and listen to our thoughts on that. Um, he had a wonderful, uh, uh Abe Lincoln Hattie wore the entire time too. So, um, so we got, uh, so we got our cast. 
Um, so with this, this one, I, Terry, this is the first time I think we've run into this where Wikipedia has things listed out like a different order than IMDb. So I don't know how you want to do this. So like I, like I put Ed Nelson first because he is the main character in this. That's yeah, I did that yeah. as well. I don't know why he he was listed like third on IMDb, and I'm like, no, he's the main character. Yeah, that didn't make any sense to yeah. me either. I'm like, oh, dude, he's going first. He, he's, he's yeah, he's the main guy. We're following him from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so we got Ed Nelson as Philip Redfield. Only Twilight Zone episode. Um, he actually did a lot of stunt work for Roger Corman in his early career, like his early career, not Corman's early career. And he was in 1959's A Bucket of Blood. I want to mention that. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and he was also, and this is why the name probably was familiar to me, in, a, in 1991's The Boneyard. Yes, I got that. I was like, I was, <laughs> oh, no. I was saving that for the end of my notes. I was oh, please, yeah, <laughs> which uh, if, if you guys don't know that film... Um, I I um I'm not the best fan of it, but it's, it's a horror film that has um, Phyllis Diller in it, and 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 at one point there's a poodle that becomes like a monster poodle in it. It's not great, but it also has like a lot of older like um like comedy like or sitcom people in it, and mm-hmm. it's like they're all playing serious parts. Kind of, it's a weird movie. Yeah, but the, the but the do the the poodle monster. It looks ridiculous, but it's kind of awesome. That's a selling point for me. I still haven't seen this, and I don't know why. This is something that, like, especially being a wastelander, I feel like I should have seen this by now. So. Yeah, I, I, weird. That's weird that like one of those weird genre horror films I've seen, and, like you haven't. So it's like I. That's a weird thing. Like, I'm, I, yeah, I'm losing yeah. a little bit of crud here. Yeah, that's well. This is Terry's last show, people, because he's oh. not seen the Boneyard. So any, what else do you have for uh, uh, Mr. I was going to say Charles Beaumont, but that's not right. Philip Redfield. Okay, so yeah, he also did like episode of The Outer Limits. Um, he did, he was in Invasion of the Saucermen. And there was a show that I had found that he was on, like pretty. I think it was pretty much the entire show, four five hundred and fourteen episodes of Peyton Place. Yeah, that's. I mean, I've heard the name. I know that has a place in history. I just I'm not familiar with it. I, it sounds like a soap opera of some sort. Or... I didn't really look into the description of it, but this will come back around. Yeah. Um, and then take a drink. Hawaiian Eye. Did you find a Hawaiian Eye connection? Hawaiian Eye. Oh, good. I, I was asleep at the wheel. I just I found the boneyard and stopped. I guess. Uh, and the name's Ed Nelson. His character name's Phil Redfield. I, I I do a good job of always flipping actors and characters. So uh, Hawaiian Eye. Congratulations! Yay, we got a Hawaiian. I, yeah. I looked at the rest of this cast. I'm like, there has to be something, right? Like yeah. there has to be. There's a lot of people. I'm like, I don't know this person. They had to have been a Hawaiian Eye. You yeah, know? I, knew, so, I I knew I was going to find one. That's nice. like the thing I'm searching for. Like at all. That, like, so that's now. I'm looking for that and Johnny Midnight. But Johnny Midnight's been uh, it's been uh, a hard uh, road now. Yeah, I, no, I, I just um, Johnny Midnight didn't last that long. I think Hawaiian Eye lasted a few seasons. So, uh, but I will forever always be on the lookout for Johnny Midnight. You've been warned, Mister Midnight. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I have a Natalie Trundy next because I feel like she was the other mainish character. Like she, you know, she had more to do in the second half of the episode. I don't know who you have second. Um, I had a uh, the guy who played Dorn, David <laughs> oh, uh, Opatoshu. Uh, His last name is spelled O P A T O S H U. Opatoshu. Yeah, we we had to go to the like the phone to speak. You know, like we <laughs> it typed like, it in and have it speak it to us, and we, it didn't even sound correct. It's then like either. it's like David Potato Shoe. Like, <laughs> oh, that's not right. <laughs> Oh, Grotten. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had Doran next. But I, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Ellen's, uh, Ellen's. We could talk about yeah. David uh, Potato Shoe here. Um, Potato Shoe. <laughs> uh, I, I, I saw he did a lot of work and his face was so reckoned. Like he looked like somebody I would know. I know. Me too. And his performance, again, we'll get into the, the maybe the story doesn't always support the actors very well. I liked his performance. Yeah, uh, but it's like I thought I knew him from something, and I could not place him from anything. But he had a lot of work. 
Yeah, he. I mean, he did. He did. I think one episode of Star Trek. Um, oh, there is a famous episode of that, but I didn't see that one, so it never clicked for me. But yeah, he was in the original episode of Star Trek. Yeah, and then uh, he was in Playhouse ninety. So there's the connection there. there. And then uh, one step beyond. Got to mention that because of the, the type of show that we do here and the Outer Limits. There you go. Perfect. And this movie, I, I, I don't have my uh, my tablet up right now, but a movie called Beyond Evil. Just the description of it sounds really good. Um, okay. I have to uh, – once I get that back up and again, I will talk about it. But, okay. Yeah, perfect. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, but it's like – I'm like, oh, Star Trek connections. I'm like, you know, I think my mind got blown away by somebody much later – a little later in the cast. So maybe that's why I, just, I was like, we'll talk about Star Trek in a minute, you right. know. Uh, but so then we had uh, – we have Natalie Trundy as Ellen Marshall, uh, only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, so she actually had various parts in different Planet of the Apes films. Um, so that's kind of like what she was known for because unfortunately shortly after this episode was filmed, she ended up in a really bad car wreck and that kind of like, um, like stopped her career for a while. And then she never really got back. Cause everyone, people were talking about her kind of being like up and comer and she was really, really, really striking looking, you know, lady, like she's really pretty, you know? And it's like, not that, not that that determines, you know, like acting yeah. ability, but you know, you're like you look at her like she should be in other things. She had a know? unique look of her, but you're yeah. like very girl next door. Yeah, and I she just passed away this December. So yeah, like, I saw yeah. that too. Yeah. yeah. So all right, well, you know, sorry, Natalie Trundy, but uh, yeah, so gone but not forgotten. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then we uh, we talked about David Potato Shoe. Now we got uh, who do you who do you have next? Uh, <laughs> the guy who played Connolly. Okay. Uh, all right. So. You're gonna to have to pronounce that name for me. I'm terrible at reading names. Conley is where did I write him down? <laughs> uh, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Jacques Aubuchon. Okay. I think that's Aubuchon, but Jacques. I know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that like just looking at that, I'm like, I'm gonna butcher this dude's name. I know it. So, but um, the most I could find on him, this was his only Twilight Zone episode, um, and he was in Mikhail's Navy. Seven episodes of the show, that is. Uh, Gunsmoke, he was a recurring member on Gunsmoke and Perry Mason. So he played a character named Urulu on Mikhail's Navy, which looked like he was some type of like Pacific Islander. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to guess that was really racist. So, mm. um, yeah. But I was looking further. He's actually, uh, he is the father-in-law of Dirk Blocker, a.k.a. Detective Hitchcock on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, okay. Which cool. I don't know if you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, but there's a, a pair of older detectives named uh, Hitchcock and Scully that are hilarious. Cool. And then, so I was like Dirk Blocker. I'm like, sweet, you know, like it's just it, that. So not that that's important, but I love Brooklyn Nine Nine. So yes. Okay. Well, that's yeah, that's <laughs> fun. Um, and I have Dabs Greer. Um, he plays Evans. Mm-hmm. Um, he did one other episode of Twilight Zone, and that yes. was Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, <sighs> yeah. season three, episode thirty. Yeah, if you guys want to hear me uh, get frustrated and, and drunker than I probably should have been, that's the episode towards the end. Oh gosh, that one's that's not a that's not a fun episode for me. Some people like it, but yes, I saw the name. I'm like, I know the name Dabs Greer. I'm like, oh, yeah, is, yeah it's a unique it, name. It's not the <laughs> only Hocus and po- Hocus Pocus and Frisbee uh, connection in this episode. I'll get to that later. Okay. And then uh, he also was on Little House on the Prairie and then reoccurring member of Gunsmoke as well. And guess what? Mm. Hawaiian Eye. There you go. I just, I, I, I stopped at Hocus Pocus from Frisbee. So that's, that's on me. Um, so, and also he, um, uh, I, one of his last roles, he was listed as Old Man Under Truck and Con Air. 
<laughs> like, yeah, I saw that too. I was like, I don't know if this is really worth even noting, but I like Con Air. I'm sure um, we mentioned at the time when we talked about Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, but he was actually the 108-year-old version of Tom Hanks's character in The Green Mile. Yeah, I did see that too. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So I, what I have next, I have uh, James Doohan. Yep. Okay. So James Doohan as Johnson slash father. Um, I saw this. Like, well, I'll be honest. First time I watched the episode, didn't pick up when that was him. And then I saw on the cast list. I'm like, you're kidding me. Scotty from Star Trek, right? right? So I don't know how much reading you did about him and his life. I want to take a moment and get into how much of an amazing person James Doohan is or Please. was. Okay. So this is all ripped from like Wikipedia and IMDb. So I'm going to read a lot of this verbatim. So if you guys don't want to, you guys can read for yourself, you know, go, go look. But at the beginning of the second world war, Doohan joined the Royal Canadian artillery and was a member of the 14th uh, field battery. Um, he was commissioned, blah, 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 blah. He was sent uh, to England in 1940 for training. He first saw combat at Juno beach during D-Day shooting two snipers doing left, led his men to a higher ground through a field of anti-tank mines where they took defensive positions for the night. Crossing between command posts at 1130 that evening, Dewan was hit by six rounds from um, by uh, a, a Bryn gun from a nervous uh, Canadian sentry. And he got four in his leg, one in the chest and one in his right middle uh, finger. The bullet to his chest was stopped by a silver cigarette case. That's badass. Given to him by his brother. His right middle finger had to be amputated, uh, something that he would try to hide when he was like, you know, on camera. But I guess there's various moments in Star Trek where you can see him not have that finger. But shot six times in D-Day by like a, a, by his own troops and lived, right? Um, so that's that's badass. Um, although he never actually was a member of the Royal Canadian Air Force, uh, Dewan was once labeled the craziest pilot in the Canadian Air Force. In late spring of 45, um, he actually salamed a plane between telegraph poles to prove it could be done. I had to look up what that meant. Uh, whenever, like, or slalomed, not salamed, slalomed. I, I can't read my own writing, my own typing. You, um, you see this in skiing where they have the flags running down the mountain and the skier goes in between and they weave. Okay, yeah. He did that with an airplane between telegraph poles. Like, yeah. he was sw- flying and weaving oh, in between, okay. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, just because he, he wanted to prove it could be done. And he got in trouble for it, but people now call, they called him the craziest pilot in the Canadian Air Force, and he was never a pilot in the Canadian Air Force. He was like Maverick before. The top <laughs> yeah, gun he was came buzzing out. the tower or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so that was great. So after the war, he moved to London, Ontario, um, for further education. After hearing a radio drama that he knew that he knew he could do better, <laughs> he was like, "That's crap! I could do better than this." He recorded his voice at a local radio station and learned about a drama school in Toronto. He won a two-year scholarship to this place, and then um, he had classmates that included Leslie Nielsen. Oh, cool. That's awesome, right? It's a good connection. So Dewan developed a talent uh, for accents, and so when he was auditioning for the role of chief engineer uh, on the on Star Trek, uh, Dewan did several different accents. Gene Roddenberry asked which he preferred, and Dewan replied, if you want an engineer, in my experience, the best ones are Scotsman. So he chose the name Montgomery Scott, uh, after his grandfather, um, Montgomery, and the fact that his character was Scottish. So they just kind of made this character up out of whole cloth because of his accent. And Broadberry's like, let's, let's just do it. You know, like, I think it's amazing. Um, <clears throat> he he would later say that, um, what was it, that Scotty's 99% uh, James Doohan and 1% accent. <laughs> so he it's basically, I'm playing myself, but with just an accent. I think that's great. Um, he would do a number of different voices in Star Trek, like, during the animated series, there was one episode in which he actually voiced seven different characters. I did not know his his ability to be a vocal like talent. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think it's great. 
Uh, so uh, this one other, I'll just mention two more things. Although he continued to work with William Shatner in the Star Trek films, they, him and Shatner did not get along very well. Actually, not well at all. Dewan did not. He, he was what's quoted saying, I like Captain Kirk, but I sure don't like Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Getting real. Yeah. So, uh, and then he, I'll also mention too that because he kind of got typecast as Scotty, uh, somewhat like I think it was his dentist that said to him, like, you're going to be known as Scotty forever. Like, this is what's going to feed your family. So he embraced like the, the Star Trek conventions before they were big. Mm-hmm. And he was always there for fans. And so there's a story, and I heard this before, where he, a young fan was contemplating suicide, so he actually convinced her to come to his convention and see him. And then he was like, hey, you know, while I'm out, write me a letter, and then come see me next time. And he kept doing this, and eventually she stopped showing up. And then he found her later um, that she actually got help, and then she went to actually go on to become an electrical engineer. Nice. Yeah, so James Doohan's just... Just you yeah, know, he's all over the place. He's just a a good human being. The way like I, when the invasion of the podcast, I just talked about Mister Rogers. I think James Doohan was like the Canadian Mister Rogers. I wouldn't believe that because we were trying to come up with one last night, and I said it was Alex Trebek. I think maybe they could share the mantle, but yeah, just I I, I just wanted to talk about his life because he had like I want to see the movie about his life. That, I mean, yeah, that sounds like it would be pretty kick ass, especially yeah. the war stuff. Jeez, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so what a badass. Yeah. Uh, probably a better story than what we're going to talk about tonight. But anyway, let's just continue. We'll go on with what we have next. So, um, yeah, and then uh, a quick note on that one too. He was also in that Peyton place as well. Yeah. And then, uh, anyways, uh, we have Morgan Brittany next as the little girl. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this, uh, she was on three episodes of Twilight Zone. So she was Nightmare as a as a child, uh, season one, tw- uh, episode twenty nine, and also Caesar and Me. Season five, episode twenty-eight. Yeah, so we'll get there. But yeah, she was a nightmare's child. She had a much bigger role in that episode. Yeah, and then uh, she was in Dallas. Quite, she was on quite a bit of Dallas. She she went on to actually have a pretty big career as a grown-up. Yeah. Like so, and I think she's still. I don't know if she's still working, but she's still with us because she was she was like young when she was in this. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, Outer Limits as well. And then her first appearance was actually on Playhouse at ninety. There you go. Another good connection there. So, so next next person I have is Sandy Kenyon as the gas station attendant Fredericks. Um, this is his third of three appearances of the Twilight Zone. He was in season two's uh, Odyssey of Flight 33, and season three's The Shelter, uh, which The Shelter's a great episode, you guys. It's like I think it's like the second episode of the – sorry, third episode of the season. You should go watch it if you've not watched it. And um, I, we mentioned then uh, he was uh, the original voice of John Arbuckle in like the first Garfield animated like, thing. Oh, cool. Did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I unfortunately didn't take any notes on him. I just that was no, like, some clays it, past him it, or something. Like he's actually he's not given much to do in this episode. He's actually has like the shelters are really good. Like th- there's really good character work from everybody involved in that. So okay. like he looked familiar, and I'm like, why do I know him? And it's like, oh, it's because of that. So, um, and then um, I have Henry Beckham as a townsperson. I uh, just mentioned he is second Twilight Zone appearance. He was in season two's A Thing About Machines. I think he was the cop in that. So like three seconds in that episode. Um, just want to mention he was in three episodes of the X-Files. I don't know if I'd mentioned that back when I talked about a thing about machines. He played um, a detective in two of the early season episodes called Squeeze and Tombs, which, Terry, I don't know if you watched X-Files much or, or not. Um, I watched quite a bit of it when it was on initially, when, yeah. it, when it aired. Um, I've been meaning to get back and just do all of the it's, episodes. It, the early stuff still holds up pretty well, because considering when the pilot came out, 
that they actually had cell phones, but they were like really, really early cell phones. Mm. A lot of what you consider to be like modern thinking and writing and communicating is still there. So they can still call each other within reason and be like, oh, I know what's going on as opposed to driving long distances to talk to each other. So that that still holds up. But the Tombs episode was the thing about the the dog catcher that was like would able to stretch himself into like, you know, down chimneys. And oh, my things. God. This, I love this episode. Yeah. This is the one I always remember. Creepy. I, I it, it is creepy. It, it actually like I had nightmares about this. Yeah. Episode and then later. like after he would get like seven livers or whatever, he'd go in hibernation. So he'd yeah. make like the big like paper mache cocoon. So uh, Harry Beckham was the was the officer the police officer that didn't catch tombs like the last 35 years before or whatever. Oh, okay. And then he was on the trail this time. And then there's the second episode they brought tombs back because he, people couldn't believe he was old as he was. So he actually was getting released. Mm-hmm. And so it was like this whole game of waiting for him to hibernate again. So he had to kill again. So that was one of the few times they brought back like a creature of the week for a second episode. Okay. Yeah. I love that episode. Yeah. It's good. It's really good. Um, and then also he was in uh Henry Beckham was in 1979's the brood, the Roger Corman film, which, is um there's there's some good to be had there. It gets really weird in the end, which it's Cor- not Corman, um Cronenberg. Jeez. Yeah. Cronenberg. What is wrong with me? Uh Cronenberg as opposed to Corman. But it gets really weird in the, the very end of that. So And then uh, the last note I have on him is that he was also in that Peyton place as well. And I said, take a drink on that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had three actors from that show and they were uh, those three actors were on quite a bit of this show <laughs> as well. So um, I have um, uh, Bart Burns here as another townsperson. Uh, I just want to mention uh, that he was a character actor, did a lot of TV roles, only Twilight Zone appearance. I found this bit of information about him. Uh, it's just interesting to me. It said, Burns began appearing on American television in 53, including the original 54 television broadcast of 12 Angry Men. During his acting career, he befriended Ernest Borgnine, where he supervised Ernest repainting scenery. Because I love that Ernest Borgnine was just like, I'll do it, whatever. You know, He was always that guy doing all the jobs. Uh, Borgnine recalled that during the 50s, Burns was rejected from the lead of a show, eventually finding out was due to his befriending suspected communists. So he was blacklisted because of suspecting, you know, being friends with communists. Burns brought his medals and captain's bars to the producers and shouted, does this look like I'm a goddamn communist? He didn't get the part. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) Even out by calling him out, he still didn't get it. Yeah. It's ridiculous. That's a a crazy story. And then um, uh, next, if you I don't have any notes on him, unfortunately, but uh, (laughs) next would be uh, King Calder. Yeah. Um, He was another townsman. He was on uh, another episode, The Trouble with... Templeton. Templeton, yeah. And he, uh, I saw him, because uh, he's one of the three that show up after the car accident, and he's like the one on the far left. He has a face like a catcher's mitt. <laughs> um, he has a really weird laugh in The Trouble with Templeton that I, I captured for the indie audio of that episode. That, like, that's the guy with the laugh. But I love his name, King Calder. And I have Pat O'Hara. That's the last person I have there in one episode of Night Gallery. That's so, whatever. A lot, of, a lot of people doing a lot of work that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. yeah, and Scotty. Like I, <laughs> I know, and it just seems like his role was just so small in this. But like because of him being such a badass, I wanted to see him more on the screen. Yeah, it just he was good. So all right, let's just uh, let's just get to the Sterling uh, intro here, and then we'll just we'll dig into the Valley of the Shadow. Sorry, Valley of the Shadow. You've seen them, little towns tucked away far from the main roads. You've seen them, but have you thought about them? What do the people in these places do? Why do they stay? Philip Redfield never thought about them. If his dog hadn't gone after that cat, he would have driven through Peaceful Valley and put it out of his mind forever. But he can't do that now. Because whether he knows it or not, his friend's shortcut has led him right into the capital of the Twilight Zone. 
All right. So um, let's just, we'll, we'll start this off. Uh, I, I like the intro, just this dude cruising around in his convertible with his dog. I, I thought that was great. I'm like, well, we got a dog in this episode. And then, and then I immediately regret that decision because the dog becomes like a, I don't know, an object to be used often in the episode. Unfortunately, it's this big sheepdog, right? Yeah, he it seems to be just like a, going towards most of the problems, but we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about it. But I like that uh, he stops. He's like, ah, Raleigh, you know, I got, got to admit to you, like, I have no idea where we're going. And we're almost out of gas. It's like, why would you keep that as a secret from your dog? Like, I get that he's just like, you know, it's his friend and he's just kind of playing it up a little bit. Um, and then, and then all of a sudden he pulled then. So, uh, Chris, uh, I always say Chris Redfield. That's the main character. Chris from, Redfield. That's from, that's from Resident Evil. Yeah. That's not right. Uh, Phil, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Philip, he pulls up and sees the sign for peaceful Valley. And then, then he looks at Raleigh. He's like, you earned yourself a stake. It's like that dog did nothing. And why are you promised him stakes? He won't get like, that's what I was just like. What's up with stakes in this? Like with, with Lafferty. It's it, funny. He needs to be apologizing to that dog in the first place when keeping secrets from him. Yeah. I wish, I wish, um, the dog's name would have been McClure and then he'd been like you earned a steak and it's like McClure doesn't get a steak like, that would have been that <laughs> would have put been on amazing. his diving gear <laughs> yeah. you shave the dog it's like McClure what's going on uh so so yeah um they he goes um uh, what was it uh yeah I wrote uh I was like La- Lafferty's very steak focused the dog did nothing to help with the navigation I don't know why that was a sticking point for me yeah. uh, so uh, we get we get um we get Redfield going into Peaceful Valley and he goes to a gas station. Yeah, Sorry, he, a gasoline station, as they yeah, call it. Yeah, he pulls up to the gas station, and we got uh, the attendant that comes up and uh, to greet him. And you know, of course, uh, Philip's like, uh, "Yeah, can you fill up the fill up the tank?" And I's like, "What was his line?" He's like, <laughs> "I love this." He uh, says, uh, "I don't see why not." Yeah, and so there's the bit too where where Philip is like. Oh well, the you know the gas tanks in the back underneath the license plate, and the attendant's like, oh, I you know I knew that, but you, he didn't, right? right. Um, and that's to imply like, oh, he's not seen a car like this in a while. But there's also this. I guess now I realize there's actually three references to Hocus Pocus and Frisbee in that episode. These guys pull up with the car, and they're and, and there's Frisbee, and they're, he's like, well, can we get gas? He's like, sure. And he's trying to find the, the you know the where to put the gas in. They're like, flip the license plate, and he goes in this whole big thing. He's like, don't tell me, I I help make this car and it's like shut up frisbee so i'm like why do we need another gag involving the gas tank i don't know anyway watch you watch the episode don't watch that episode uh, but so but yeah like the the attendance is kind of like like giving him grief from the moment he gets into town yeah he just seems like he's put off by him just even showing up yeah so then uh redfield admits that he he got lost and he was always way to albuquerque but made a wrong turn um, I wrote Bugs Bunny would sympathize because every time Bugs Bunny shows up, he's like, oh, this is in Pismo Beach. Because I, I, I took a wrong turn in Albuquerque. Oh, OK. It's been a while. And so. like I looked it up and like there's like a YouTube. So someone put together a smash cut of every time he references taking a wrong turn in Albuquerque. So in this case, this gentleman was trying to get to Albuquerque and took a wrong turn. So I'm like, well, I'm sure the rabbit would still appreciate that. Yeah, his, his map from earlier was pretty vague <laughs> in the first place, too. So the, the map, I wish I could get a screenshot of it, but the way that the, the, the streaming stuff works right now, I can't get direct screenshots, which is unfortunate because I would have got a shot of that map. Um, have you seen the film Idiocracy? Yes, I love it. So at the end, whenever you find out Dak Shepard's map to the time machine, mm-hmm. like it's just it's like scribbles and it's the, the word time machine is just like misspelled. <laughs> it's like th- those maps didn't look too different from each other. No. Where it's like, oh, Philip's trying to find the time machine and can't quite get there. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, whoever drew that map was doing him a disservice. Yeah, it's like, just go up and then turn. And then, you know, like, the, 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 there's a note at the bottom of the map you didn't see that was, talk to the dog, he knows where he's going. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. And promise him a steak after he <laughs> yeah, leads you to just, he, the just right promise place. him one. He yeah. can't actually have it. He has a heart thing, but whatever. <laughs> you know, he'll still, he'll still think he's getting it. Um, so yeah, like, so then the attendant's like, okay, well, you know, you want to go to Baird Inn or whatever he says. And he's like, it's, it's like 30 miles back that way. Like tell him like, you need to go all the way away from this place. Yeah. Well, basically cause, uh, Phillip's like, uh, yeah, I need to get to a highway, any highway. How do I get to one? He's like, well, you know, you go back this way, go to Brendan or Brendan or Baird Inn. I bet it's like, he's like, well, the fork you're at, take the other one. So I wrote my notes like, oh, so the way out of here is to go the exact opposite way. Thanks for the advice. And then when you get there. Ask for a map. <laughs> like, what the hell is that, dude? That didn't help. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it also explains a little bit more about how, like, confused he is, the, the gas station attendant. Like, he doesn't really know, it seems like. You know, I just feel like, I, I just feel like he's, like, the less, the less you are aware of the surrounding area, the better. So I think he's trying not to give him any other identifying information, because I, I, I think everybody... Once you get where you're going, I think everybody's aware of of other things that just that they may not actually have been there. Right. You know? So piecing um, and parting things together, especially from like his <sighs> absent mindedness and that. Yeah. So it's it's the first thing where this the tone of this kind of wobbles a little bit, and I, so we'll we'll get there at the end. Um. So so then um Philip is like, well, but you know, I'm hungry. Is there a restaurant? He's like, it's closed. He's like, is there no other restaurants? He's like, nope. He's like, he's like. But I need to get a steak for my dog. <laughs> and, yeah, my dog's hungry too, man. Yeah, he's like, the dog's really hungry. He's like, I am too. He's like, I need to get a steak for the dog. It's like, yeah, the dog needs a steak. And so as they're trying to figure all that out, and he's like paying, he's like, you got change for a 10? And the guy's like, I don't know, maybe. Like, okay, great. And then that, and did you like how the guy was like counting the money? He's like, no, no, no. You got to stay right here as I count your change to you so specifically. R- Raleigh sees a cat, the little girl in the street, she has a cat with her. Raleigh sees the cat, takes off for the cat. And so Philip is torn. He's like, I want to get my dog back. And he's like, the other guy's like, nope, you got to stay in here and take all your change. Yeah, he's really trying to make sure that Philip stays focused on him counting that change. It's taking him a long ass time to count this change, too. <laughs> but it's, it's like, it's like we, you don't get many customers around here and you've never seen this car. I'm going to guess there's not going to be another car pulling up for gas yeah. for probably another 16 years. So you could probably hold the change for a minute while he goes and gets his dog. Um, I want you to tell everybody what happens next. And it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in an episode of Twilight Zone. It's just, it's, I, we, we might talk about season four being up and down last week. If you had told me what was about to happen, I would have been like, that's not real. And I'd be like, I want to watch that episode. <laughs> okay. So, so basically we see Riley jump out of the car and head directly towards the cat barking and, uh, trying to get to the cat. The I, wish cat the, I wish the cat's name was steak. I kind of <laughs> wish that was going on. Yeah. Just so it pans in and there's a little <laughs> name tag. It says steak. Yeah. Um, T-bone, get back here. <laughs> so, <laughs> The cat freaks out, jumps out of the little girl's arms, and runs away. So we we 
get closer to where this all the action is now. And the cat is in a potted plant <laughs> hanging from the porch. Like, I don't know how it got up there. It's an amazing... Again, I wish I could get a screenshot of it because it was amazing. I mean, like, cats are pretty agile, but how the hell did he get in that thing? It just looked like, a, like, it looked like an early internet meme of this cat in the yeah. flower pot. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I was, he was pretty comfortable up there, too. But So here's Rally. They probably stapled him up there. I don't know how they... Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, how do they keep... How did the, the production like keep him in there? Yeah, dogs you can train, cats you just negotiate with like, yeah you know, like. <laughs> i just want to see how long it took them to get that shot too <laughs> yeah like no stay kidding. stay boots yes yeah <laughs> um so raleigh's uh you know of course pissed that the cat's up in the the plant he's still barking at him and everything the little girl comes over and she's not too happy about it she reaches into her little pocket and pulls out some weird device and points it at the dog. It's like a box with like, it almost looks like you know, with a little wire. And it almost looks like a, it now it would look like a, like a recording device. It looks like it actually has like a little microphone or whatever. Right. Um, and then she, she aims at the dog and you hear like a high pitched whine. I almost pulled the sound effect. But it annoyed me so much. The harp, the harp, blink, you know, annoys yeah, I, I, like, I really didn't like the sound that they were using for that. It like, so it's a thing that happens in the series a lot where they pick an, an audio cue that really doesn't fit the tone of the thing going on. Right. But it's like, but this is all like, you know, the early 60s. So maybe like we've had so much more time after that to kind of understand what we believe to be a sci-fi noise. So whatever. Right. So maybe that's what they thought was appropriate, but it was like, I, I, so, so she aims at the dog. You hear the, 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 the harp noise, the sound cue. Yeah. Yeah. And then the dog just disappears. Right. Like just vanishes. Like, like here's the noise that should have happened. Like you should have turned the dog should just disappeared like immediately. (laughs) Right. And maybe like a dog whimper in the distance or something like that. Not even that, just just gone. (laughs) Like just like the sound of air rushing in, just out. You know, like and so, uh, so Philip runs over. He's like, "What? Like, what'd you do to my dog?" It's because he saw it. Yeah, yeah, like he's like right behind the little girl at this point because it pans back to them. He's directly behind her, and she like, "Oh no!" Like didn't know he was right there, and she quickly puts the the device back into her pocket. Yeah. And so she runs into the house, uh, Redfield. This is when we get the Sterling intro at that point, which I wish he would have walked out of the front of the house. Like, you know, been like, like as, as Redfield's is pounding on the door or, or what would have been better if like, you know, like the little girl would have pointed the device near and there's yeah. Sterling right there talking. Yeah. That would have been amazing He's, to me. He pokes his head out of another <laughs> potted plant or something. Yeah. 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 He, right pushes, the cat. he pushes the cat head out of the way and starts talking. <laughs> But he gives his intro <laughs> or, or like he pulls up and he's like, why I want to get gas. And there's this car in front of me. Only if, only if they had given him his change, uh, he does his intro. And, and then, so we go with, with Philip, uh, pounding on the doors, trying to get somebody's attention. That's when we see, uh, James Dewan's character who comes in. He's like, why? He's like, you scared my daughter. He's like, I scared your daughter. She made my dog disappear. And he's like, that's not, he's like, that's not right. He's like, let's go look for your dog. Yeah, instantly dismisses it and says, all right, he's got to be around here somewhere, man. Which I want to point out now the irony that um, James Doohan's telling somebody that a being in front of them did not get teleported away. I want to point that out because he was, you know, because <laughs> everybody, everybody says beam me up, Scotty. And he's literally telling somebody, your dog did not get beamed up. He, well, he didn't say it literally, but it's like he's actively telling somebody that a dog just didn't vanish because of technology. Right. So. Maybe he wasn't typecast yet, but <laughs> yeah, it's like a weird foreshadowing of his, he didn't know it was coming. his career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, and then, so they go looking around and he tells, he tells Phil, like, check over here. I'll check behind. And he, he goes around the side of the house and they make this awkward eye contact between him and the gas station attendant where they kind of do the nod of like, we know what's up. Right, right. And uh, Dewan brings out his own device and brings the dog back, which good, which I was like, I hope the dog does come back. Little did I know what was going to become of this dog later, you know? Um, so, yeah. Um, so the dog comes back. He's like, oh, was, he must chase another cat, whatever. And then, so Philip is like kind of frustrated, but he's like, I got my dog. I'm going to get out of here. But um, I think at that point, he actually just gets in the car and goes the other direction as opposed to what the gas station attendant told him to do. Right. Yeah. So he's like, you're going the wrong way. And then, so then uh, Philip actually goes into the hotel that is open. Right. And then we get, that's when we meet um, uh, what's uh, Ellen. Well, for the, yeah. for the moment there. Uh, yeah. So he's going towards the restaurant and the hotel, which is right next door. But um, the gas station attendant starts to freak out a little bit. So That's go- right. That's right. Yeah. So he goes back to this drawer, opens it up, and pulls out what I can only describe as like a crystal salt shaker. <laughs> what, what, what's my note say here, Terry? I wrote, yeah. I, I like yep. that the communicator looks like a salt shaker. Yep. <laughs> That's what I, I, I've just felt like that they just wanted to like, uh, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond and pulled out like something that looked uh, alien almost. And it's like, yeah, this works. Yeah, Perfect it's, prop. And it's actually one of those things where it's like, okay, I get that. Right. But I, I kind of wish he would have pulled out like a pepper uh, grinder and held it up to his ear. Yeah. <laughs> it been like, you know, talking to the salt yeah, shaker. Yeah, like the lassie uh, like phone. Yeah. <laughs> but it works. It's like, you know, again, there there's a lot of forward thinking in this episode yeah. that you're like, okay, I can get behind that, you know? But it's like this weird device. And he's like, you know, talking. He's like, I need to speak to Dorn. And they're like, why? And he's like, you know, the person, you know, he's still here or whatever. So it's like, so you know that that the town is in on something and that Philip shouldn't be there. Right. But also, you also saw a dog disappear and reappear because of handheld devices. So you know something's up with this town. Also, why would the girl have that device? That's the, Watching this episode twice, I'm like, why would you give the power of that to a girl, like to a young girl? That's like, pretty great power, too. I mean, this girl's like maybe six, seven years like, old What if most? she got pissed at her dad? Right. Who's, <laughs> who's like, next? Yeah. yeah. Like, she probably had other cats. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where's her friends, too? Yeah, we, that's oh. right. We don't see other little kids. She just, she, yeah. Anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about what that device is when we, when we like, which is one of the more interesting parts of the episode because of, like, they really did this. So. That's, that's for our fan fiction that we just do about this episode later. <laughs> this and the kid from um, It's a Good Life, those two would get along well where it's like, I just wish into a cornfield. It's like, well, I just use this mini disc player and I just make people vanish. Like, like high we five. Sh- we should hang out. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so then he goes to the hotel and that's where he ends up meeting uh, Ellen. Yep. Um, so yeah, talk, uh, set that stage because there's there's uh, some more interest, more information that he finds that's really odd considering what we know about later about the episode. Okay, so he um, he walks into the hotel and doesn't see anybody in the lobby area. Rings a bell, nobody comes to to the desk right away. Yeah. So he starts just moseying around, looking at things, and that, and he finds a newspaper. And <laughs> the most outrageous part to him is the date, but. <laughs> The, the event it is the event is so huge on it and says Stalin dead. Yeah, it's dated 1953, and they make it a point to let you see the newspaper. It says, you know, Stalin is dead, mm. and then it pauses, and then it zooms, zooms. in, and yeah. it's like, oh, and then he's like, that's ten years ago, and I and I, I wrote my notes. That's ten years ago. That's ten years after the sub sank in the last episode. Don't tell Chief Bell because they kept going on and on about how that was twenty years ago. So it's right. like, oh no, 
Everybody, don't tell anybody what's going on time wise. But yeah, there's this newspaper. It's like pristine condition. Stalin's dead. It's ten. The newspaper's ten years old. It's like, well, that's weird, right? And then roll that in with the knowledge of like the gas station attendant didn't know how to put the gas, where to put the gas in the car. You're like, okay, you're getting the sense that this this town, Peaceful Valley, is like a town out of time, right? And, and but again, the story's wobbly, and I, I don't know if that necessarily pays off. There, there's a reason for it. I don't necessarily agree with it. So anyway, he, he talks to Ellen and she's like, Oh, we're all full up. He's like, he looks up at the keys. Like they're all available. He's like, well, if everybody's, if all the rooms are taken, everybody must be out right now. She's like, what are you talking about? She's like, there's all the keys here. She's like, Oh yeah, that's the story. That's the ticket. And she's John Lovett suddenly. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, well, where do they eat? She's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, the restaurant's closed. And she's like, Oh, he's like, but then what? She's like, we, we, we prepare stuff at home. He's like, and the hotel guests. And so he, he asked some logical questions in an illogical situation. I respect that. And he admits he's a reporter, which right. fits this actually pretty well. Cause he's like, I'm kind of paid to ask questions. And he's like, and this doesn't make sense. And so in the meantime, uh, you know, I, I, there's something here where like, um, yeah, he decides he's going to leave at that point. Right. I'm sorry. I've watched this twice. This is a little weird episode. So at that point he leaves the hotel and he's going to just leave. Right. Right. Because he wanted to make a phone call. He wanted to get a sandwich. He wanted to get a steak. None of that happened. Mm. So, yes. So he leaves and he goes to try to leave Peaceful Valley at that point. What happens? Tell me. This is another amazing. So we already have a dog vanish and reappear. That's amazing. And then what happens next? This is also a thing I was not expecting to happen in this episode. Okay. So he goes back to basically what can be like the city limits where the sign that says Peaceful Valley and immediately as he crosses that that line, his car seems to hit something to a point where it smashes in the front of the car. Yeah, and that 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 it's not an effect, but the way the way it looks is really good. Yeah, like it's, it's a pretty decent shot, and especially when you see the outside of the car, you're like, "Whoa, this yeah. is crazy." Yeah, I mean, it reminded me very much instantly of like Under the Dome, like you know the, the Stephen King the series, and then the book where, um, you know, there's the invisible force field around the town, and it's like he didn't see it coming, and he just immediately hits this thing, and his front of, front of his car gets flattened, and then he's like, you know, thrown forward, and his dog is somehow ejected far off to the right side. Yeah, the door's open. The car, <laughs> the dog is laying to the right. Like, it makes me believe that the dog hit the dash with its head and then opened the door. <laughs> out and went over just stumbles <laughs> over you know he's just faint from uh you know, head trauma and lack of stakes um, <laughs> malnutrition yeah but that effect though like it it works and so i guess i'll say now that what they did for the episodes they had two cars that were similar the same car right one smashed one not smashed and what they did was for the regular car they tied it they chained it to a tree um, so that when they pulled it forward, it would jerk. Oh, okay. And so, but the thing is they did it at like 10 miles an hour and they undercranked the camera. So it looked like it was moving at regular speed. And so then when the car jerked forward, they would do like a match cut to the, of him like reacting. And then you'd see the front end of the car smash. So really effective. Um, even at 10 miles an hour that caused the stunt driver to go onto the steering wheel so hard. They had to bring an ambulance to take him away. Oh, geez. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So there was some some trauma on that set for that shot. Like, but hopefully but, he got a stake. Yeah, <laughs> but really, really good. Of, like for a practical effect and some like we talked about how Lafferty doesn't really have a style. That looked really like I again didn't see it coming. Much like our character. Yeah, it know? was a good shot. I, was, I liked it a lot. Yeah. So that was fun. 
Um, but then at that point, you know, we get him coming out of the car. And then he finds out Raleigh's dead. Yeah, he's, he's always checking the dog and everything. And he looks pretty distraught at this point. And then four, uh, four townsmen just walk up, just nonchalant. It's like nothing's, nothing serious, nothing. It's just, just hanging out. It's like, oh, so you hit that rock that wasn't there. It's like, what? No. <laughs> the whole thing of like, well, maybe you hit a rock. Like, how big of a rock are we talking? You know? Yeah, especially the damage that's done to the front of that car. I mean, it would have to be a boulder at this yeah. point. The only other time I've seen a vintage car with that much damage on the front is Christine. I, I know. don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, what's going to happen here? Uh, and so they're like, he's like, like, well, it looks like your dog. It's like, we can take care of your dog. But the mayor wants to talk to you. He's like, my dog's dead. It's like, no, we'll take care of the dog. And so you just, you just, but they also refer to him by name. They call him Redfield. Uh, yes. Uh, and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, it's like, so they know who he is. Right. It's like, wow, world, word travels fast around this town. And so they get him to go meet the mayor and go see a doctor. Right. They're like, well, there could be internal injuries, which also I'll call back to our very first episode in his image when our character got hit by a car and the, the driver of the car was like, maybe there's internal damages. So I feel like Lafferty has two calling cards. You know, internal bleeding and stake, stake not giving. I, weird calling cards as a director. <laughs> um, so while he gets taken away to go meet Dorn and, and, and the boys, uh, one of the guys stays back and actually brings out a device that's similar to the one we saw with the little girl. And he hits a button and Raleigh pops back to his yeah, feet. He's, he's good. And I like the notion that he just says to the dog, he's like, oh, we've put you through the rigor today, haven't we, old fella? And it's like, you just brought this dog back from the dead. Like, you don't just shake that off. Like you're like, Oh, you're good now. It's like, so this dog, <laughs> this dog was been denied stakes multiple times. Uh, he has been, uh, taken out of reality and placed back, uh, been ejected from a car and died and brought back to life. Like, I feel like Raleigh's the true victim in this entire episode. I, I think you got something going there. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and also he's in a, an area that he was never even being told that he was lost in. <laughs> so what the hell? He's being misled as well. That poor dog. What what if what if where he went? Where's like, Peta? What if, what what if wherever he disappeared to was like a land of stakes, and he was about to go to one, and they brought him right back? And he's like, son of a bitch, you know? Like, what if that was? I was so on? close. I was at the stake dimension, you know? Like, <laughs> it was it was the A one dimension, you know? But anyway, uh, so we we get um we we get back to um uh, Redfield going to meet Dorn. Um, and the boys, it just feels like a band name. I love it. Dorn and the boys. Dorn and the boys. Um, and they're, they're like, he's like, where's the doctor? They're like, oh, you need a doctor? It's like, you were just told there's going to be a doctor here. <laughs> like, they, So this becomes, this is where the episode just kind of slows down. Like it just kind of, like there's some interesting things here, but there's so much dialogue. Yeah, that the pace happens. seemed pretty quick up until this point. Yeah. And lots of dialogue that's going on at this point. I'm really trying to suss out what's going on in the town with this dialogue. Yeah. And so like, um, that's whenever Doran's like, well, if you need a doctor, we can get you one. And he's like talking to him. He's like, we have some questions to ask you. And like his, his henchmen are going to ask questions too. And they're really specific questions. But my favorite bit of all this is that Doran's like, you're a reporter, right? He's like, yeah. And he, he, so Philip confirms he's a reporter and he's like, oh, he's like, well, how's your novel coming along? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, he's like, reporting's like a noble art, but he's like, aren't all reporters novelists that are working on a novel? <laughs> like, I love that he's like, you're working on a book, aren't you? Like, I, it's kind of a joke of like, well, people don't want to be reporters. They want to be novelists. Yeah, it's like the progression. Like, oh, oh, yeah, that's what they do, right? You yeah, and, books. and like, and then Redfield kind of, kind of, he doesn't, I, I don't think he ever admits it, but you get the notion he's like, yeah, I'm working on something. It's like, like, I love that he goes from like, well, you're a reporter. 
what's your unfinished screenplay that you don't have yet? You know, like, so anyway, um, and, and then goes back and forth and, and Philip asks Dorn, like, what's going on? He's like, you know, what's going on with my car? What's going on? And that's when I played the little clip at the beginning. He's like, you know, well, he actually says, come back in an hour, which I don't think that's the right way to do anything in an episode where it's like, we'll give you your answers, but you have to come back, but whatever. So he sends him back out to town with the three buildings. And that's when he goes back and talks, like he talks to the gas station attendant, finds the dog alive again. He's excited for that. Uh, and then the attendant's like, well, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm not working on this car. He's like, but I was told the car was going to fix. He's like, I didn't get word from this. And then yeah, he, I didn't get approval <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And then, and then he's like, well, $200 worth of officials, you know, get this car fixed. I'm like, wow. 1963 to be like this car. If you guys have seen the episode is demolished on the front end. It's like, I'll give you $200 to fix this right now to get out of here. It's like that car is not moving ever again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that dude that car is done it wouldn't even be like 200 dollars to like get it on a flatbed and get it over to there yeah you know? but i like that he's like i'm going to try to give you 200 bucks in 1963 money which i think is probably seven hundred fifty thousand dollars at this point i don't know <laughs> it's it's a lot of money uh but then he finds out that they're not working on the car uh and then he goes back to confront um uh, he goes back to confront Dorn about it. And that's when we get the line of like, well, you're not allowed to leave peaceful Valley at this point. And cause Dorn, he's actually conflicted. And there's a bit I forgot to mention. I know you probably have your notes where the guys are all talking about like, well, it's finally happened. Somebody showed up. And right. Like, it's, it's been 16 years. Right. There's some secret that they are kind of like, they're aware of obviously. And just kind of like, well, it happened. We kind of should have known, but We'd- Dorn, Dorn's like mad. He's like, yeah. no, we should have been, re- we should have been prepared. He's like, how basically he's like, how stupid is it that we closed the restaurant, but left the hotel open? I'm like, that's a good question. He was like, wouldn't there be more requests for food than there would be for lodging? Yeah. And then Evans is like, it's been 16 years since we've had either. So, and he's like, so like, and, and knowing, and knowing what they're capable of doing, I think leaving the restaurant opens like the, really at what cost, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, no one's eating there anyways. Yeah, it's just like, Oh, well, if you say welcome to ham sandwich town, you know, like we can, we have anything you want as long as it's a ham sandwich <laughs> with, with mustard. Um, so yeah, like he asked these questions. He's like, okay, now we're, he's basically saying we're now confronted with the thing that we thought we were prepared for, but we're not. And so then when Phil comes back into the room to talk about like what, like what's going on, um, here's the, here's the part that I get, like one thing I get frustrated with, um, because, uh, you know, he, he tells Phillips, we're not going to leave peaceful Valley. And then, and then, uh, Phillips gets into a fist fight and he, like the first punch misses so wildly, but like the actor has to act like he got hit. Did right. you notice yeah, that? It's like choreo- the, the, the way that was choreographed was so sloppy, <laughs> so sloppy. And did you like, and, and I know it's pointed out later, but you see like the beginnings of like a spiral, I have a spiral staircase off to the right corner. It's like a, it's like, a, um, almost like a firehouse spiral staircase. Do you notice how it's always in kind of the corner and how it's always shown, but you know that those steps go nowhere. Like, cause when they actually use it, they cut to a completely different location. Right. I, I, I get it, but that felt very Ed Wood to me where it's like, <laughs> no, we got to show the top of the staircase. Like, yeah. but, but so as he, as Philip is trying to like, you know, fight his way out. Um, and then he goes to run out of the room and Dorn brings out the device. that looks very similar to the one that the girl had. And he aims it at, at um, Phillips. And then you hear the harps chord and the, and <laughs> he disappears, he disappears. And then, and then he, and then Dor just turns and aims it at the chair and puts and puts him back in the chair. And he, like, and, and Phil's like, "What just happened?" I'm like, "That's the right question." Like, I was there, 
and I, w- I and now I'm here. Like, what happened? It, like, it almost looked like he was like kind of groggy from it too. Like yeah, he, like he had just kind of woken up. So I here's the part that frustrates me because this happens over and over again in this episode where Doran's like, "You won't understand this. I will now explain it to you. Everything. <laughs> I'm, I'd like it's a, it's a disassembler. This is what happens." And he goes through the whole thing. It's like, you literally just told me you can't understand it, and now you're going to explain it to him. Right. And that's not the last time that happens in this episode. But I like the Dorn's joke of, like, it makes moving furniture really handy. Like, I thought that was kind of a funny joke. Um, but basically saying, I have we have this technology that can disassemble atoms, like, at an atomic level, and it can reassemble them quickly. And that's what, like, basically, like, that's what happened to you. And he didn't say it, but like, that's what happened to your dog. You right. Know? So then we know that there's something going on more in Still Valley than Philip was ever aware of. And I made the comment here where Dorm was like, um, he said it was a dissimulator, dis- which I think is like, you know, a fun name, but uh, he's like, you stumbled upon a secret. I'm now going to tell you all about it. <laughs> you know, he goes into it. And I just want to ask you, wouldn't a better name for this place be called Hidden Valley? Hidden Valley. <laughs> yeah. Where you can get be- some ranch dressing. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Hidden Valley is a better name for this place than Peaceful Valley. Yeah. I mean, like, the trope for me, uh, uh, just from knowing that name, it's like, all right, it's Twilight Zone. This is very ominous already. It's almost like you have to go into this episode blindly and not know that there's something ominous that's going to happen. Yeah. You know? But so when we find out about the dissimulator, it's it's 23 minutes and 50 seconds into the episode. And this is like a 54 minute episode. We're like, there's still more time to go in this episode than there was going into this. I'm like, what? Is, like this, it just hits this quagmire, right? Um, so then Dorn's like, you stumbled across a secret. I'm not going to tell you in detail what happened. Um, 104 years ago, a smart and wise man showed up to Hidden Valley Ranch with math and could do great things and make great devices. Uh, and he made the decree that the secret was to remain here until peace was, was there and like prevalent in the world. Cause he has this ability to do all these amazing things, but the world's not ready for it. And once the world has peace, then peaceful Valley can come out of the shadows and say, this is what we have. And right. you're now ready for it. Um, I just like, it's very specific. 104 years ago, a science wizard showed up and gave us all these things, you know, like but- he had to fact check it before it be, before he <laughs> let Phil on everything. Yeah. Uh, so then at that point he tell, he tells Philip all this stuff and he's like, let me show you. And then they walk over to the top of the staircase. That's not really a staircase. And they cut to them going to the archives Tell me, tell everybody, I love, I love how this is all set up downstairs. Dude, it's just a basement with a <laughs> bunch of file cabinets. Like, with just, it's like, it just seems like this hall of records in the library, though. You know, it's like just so simple. Not even that. It just feels like you ended up in accounting and you have to go pull, like, you know, like the, I don't know, um, the I was going. What's the name of the the, the TPS reports? The TPS reports. Yeah, <laughs> um, the 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 McClure file. <laughs> You're yeah. gonna pull that, uh, and it's like so. And so then he already showed the dissimulator, but he goes over to a file cabinet and pulls out like this thing that's like the size of like a beta player, and he was like, "This was the original one. It was much bigger." And it's like, and now here's the smaller one. I'm like. Who cares, you know? And so then he goes on to show, Dorn goes on to show all this other stuff. Um, like, you know, like, like they, and he shows them the one device that's like, this actually has control over time itself. And this brings me to the third thing I never thought I would see in a Twilight Zone episode. Please tell people, there are some amazing moments in this episode that with everything else around it, just 
kind of steps on it, but I never expected to see this happen next where Dorn's going to show the power of his time object. Yeah, it's almost like he has to prove to Philip, like, we're not lying to you, man. So he, he says to Evans, hey, you know, do the thing. So Evans starts pulling back his jacket and Connolly holds him. And he takes a letter opener and stabs him approximately where the heart is. Yeah, it is gruesome. Yeah, I was like, whoa, that's pretty sweet, man. <laughs> yeah, but th- this is 1963 television. And you see that, you know, see him get stabbed in the chest. You know, his shirt becomes like wet with blood. Mm-hmm. And then whenever Dorm pulls out the letter opener, there's still blood on it, you yeah. know? And it's like, that's gruesome. And then he aims like, you know, like, I don't know, like the, the two megapixel camera at it and it turns the knob and reverses time. And you see all the blood go right, right back in. It's a good effect because it's just reversing the, the camera, like right. the, the, the film. But And then all of a sudden, everybody's good again. It's like, I think you could have probably showed that with like maybe a cut on the hand yeah, or anything. Why did it have to be that Why did it have to be like, I'm going to stab this guy in the heart? It's like, I feel like you were just mad at him for something earlier in the day that you're not you're, you're just getting around to. <laughs> I think like, he was pissed at that conversation. He just tried comment, comment about like, well, this is going to happen eventually. He's like, you know, I'm going to stab you in the heart later with a letter opener. And it's going to be okay, but I'm going to do it once. <laughs> I like how cool and collected, like all of them are too. Like even even Evans after getting stabbed in the heart is just like, Ugh. and that's it. Like, yeah, like I'm mildly inconvenienced. I'm good again, you know. Like, yeah. And so then, like that's an amazing thing. But then and then uh, Dorn goes on to show uh, two more amazing devices. Uh, one. Um, is this duplicator, right? And he's like, oh, we have much bigger ones that take care of all of our needs here in Peaceful Valley, but this will suffice. And he pulls out a file out of uh, another cabinet. That labeled ha- G. <laughs> yeah, labeled G no, for, it, for sandwich. No, I, no, actually, I, that, that's for later. Uh, <laughs> H, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, well, it, 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 so... He um, pulls out, he's like, this will work. And he basically said that we have all these these printed pieces of paper that have various like equations on them, which they're, they're just like like these charted lines. And he's like, and we can put this in here and it can just show up on this plate. So it's basically a 3D printer right. or or like a, um, what do you call that in Star Trek? I, um, where you can just make food. I, 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 my mind's going blank now. People are yelling at me, but whatever. He, he's like, well, he's like, he's like, you said you were hungry. Here is a sheet of paper that has the atomic breakdown of a ham sandwich uh, with mustard. And he puts it in the machine and it's like, boop, there's the sandwich, you know, it's a little platform (laughs) on a a plate with like a pickle and like chips or whatever. It's like, you didn't say that was what was going to happen. And he's like, Earl, Earl gray tea hot or whatever, you know, (laughs) it shows up replicator. That's the word I'm looking for. And then I like that he hands it to, to, um, He's going to hand it to Philip. He's like, you said you're hungry. He's like, yeah, not now. It's like, I just saw you science food out of nothing. I don't want to eat that food. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Like, it just showed up. I'm good. Um, but he's like, we could, this is how we do all these things. We have all these little like charts and graphs to, to, that are these sheets for all this, uh, which brings up something funny that happens a little bit later. But he's showing them all these secrets. He shows like a cat, like a, a file, like um, like a safe that has like the secret, like this tome. Well, right before he did that, he also showed oh, them, the force field. Yeah, yeah. They, they, there was a giant lever that would control the force field around the town. He makes it a point to show him that and I, how it works. I'm like, yeah, and that comes back later. But I'm like, really? Okay, great. That's great. Cool. Like foreshadowing. We, sure, like, we know that. And then, um, and then it's like, you know, 
so then it becomes this big thing of like Redfield sees all this. He's like, yeah, I want to get out of here. I want to tell everybody about this. This stuff's amazing. And people need to know about it. And, and Doran's like, no, they're not ready. And if, and someone, one of them said, if people learn one secret, they'll learn them all. So I'm going to guess that whatever works for the, whatever that math is, it's, it's kind of like the Rosetta stone. You can figure out the rest of it. Fine. And there's a point where Dorn's like, well, like you got E equals MC squared and you didn't like bring water to valleys and bring food to tables. I'm like, I don't know if that's how that works. I think that just makes like atomic bombs. I don't know. I, or that's a theory of relativity. I don't think that makes food happen. No. I don't know. But you know, it doesn't I, cure starvation. And <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but I have suspicions, but I get his point of like, anytime you're given an opportunity mankind goes the worst direction with it. So he thinks it's not ready. So then um, at one point, uh, the one dude that got stabbed in the chest was like, we do it for necessity, not choice. And Philip was like, thank you, Hitler. I know. I, I got, I put that line down too. I was like, Oh geez. And then, and then it just turns see, back to him real it's quick. It's like, he's not wrong. Like no. you basically the whole thing of like, we, we do this for the greater good. It's like, okay. So then, uh, at that point, um, Redfield's given the choice of either like assimilation, meaning he's with them, right? He lives in Peaceful Valley, or, or death. death. Yeah. So he's like, "Oh, all or nothing." He's like, "Yeah." He's like, well, "I guess I choose all." Like, fair enough. Yeah, I, I don't think I would be too much of a choice there for me either. <laughs> yeah. So then this is this is basically like I don't I don't know if this is a three act story, but this is when we get into like the second part of the conflict, right? which is he now has this knowledge of what Peaceful Valley is all about because of a science wizard, and they have uh, machines that can just make food appear or whatever. And he's given a house, and this is whenever um, Ellen is trying to make him feel comfortable with his setting. And like he's there, and you know he, Raleigh's okay. So Raleigh's, Raleigh's okay the rest of the episode, so don't worry about that. I don't know if he got a steak replicated, but you think there'd be a sheet out there for it, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so she shows up. She's like, oh, you don't like all this stuff? She's like, we got you a typewriter. And she's like, I'm sorry we didn't have a sheet for anything newer. You know, that implies to me that once the science wizard went away and died, that they have not had the ability to make anything new. Like they can keep making the same things, but they don't understand their own process to actually make these code sheets like, you know, for new stuff. And then even the car situation, the, probably the tenant had not seen a car that new. That's fair. It's just then. Or actually, a car in general to take you back. I mean, because the guy came there 104 years before. Yeah, but I mean, if they said they hadn't had a visitor in like 16 years, I'm sure that there was some of that. But Not true. I, I don't know if they can duplicate cars. This, but it's like that it feels weird to me that like he was they were able to like magic up a typewriter. But then then she's like, well, Dorm will say we'll get a new one. It's like, does that mean you have to bring something in for the machine to understand it before it can be duplicated? I guess that's fine. They didn't say it. I'm not going to read too much into that. But I like the notion that. They're kind of stuck at a certain time, which explains why the town's a little backwards. That doesn't explain why you have a paper sitting in a hotel saying Stalin is dead. That's the, it's like, great. You're kind of locked in time because your machine can only make goods up to that point. Fine. Make it quaint, make it a small town. People would probably look past that. You, you shouldn't be like, oh, here's the last time we checked the news outside. Also, if your mission is, you need to know the world has established peace. Wouldn't you be actively aware of the constant like geopolitical situation for the time to release the secret to the world? That feels like that to me. It just seemed like they were just complacent at this point. They just didn't want to push it's, it. Like it's almost like they're saying, yeah, here's our mission. 
And it's like, they, and they say they believe it. I put that in air quotes, but they have everything they want. So why would they want to share that with the world? Yeah. Why rock the boat? They like, got it. Like, they have like, all the power. Like they're literally the 1%. Right. <laughs> in the sense of like, they have everything they could possibly want. And why would you want to move out of that? And if that doesn't kind of encapsulate some of like the suburbia at that time, I don't know what does, you know, but so, uh, you get the, so, so you get the notion that like, uh, Philip and Ellen, they're sweet on each other. Ellen, you, you can tell she's like crushing on him and, and he, and she's like, well, don't you want to work on your novel? Don't you want to do all this? And, uh, but like at that point, I'm like the novel that no one will else be able to read. Like, I know I thought the exact same thing. Like, I'm sure that he, it's gotta be a contemplation for him. It's like, what the hell's the point? Like I'm, I'm, it's not going to be satisfying for me because no one's going to read it. Yeah. So, and there's not even the promise of you get to tell our story about the secret that once we determine it's time, like you, if you, cause that, that felt like to me that if you did it that way, that'd almost be like, you're now part, you're now with us, which they've been trying to assimilate him, but it'd be like, you have a vested interest. You want to be a reporter. We're going to give you the greatest story in the world. Just, just stick with us. Right. But I never got that vibe. You know, like they're like, here's our story. You can't tell anybody. Shh. Do you want a sandwich? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like there's, it just like more or less implying again, that their thumb is over him. Like he yeah. cannot get out of that. So then he, he tells Ellen, he's like, yeah, I, I'm going to leave. And she's like, what do you mean? He's like, like basically this whole, this whole thing of like, if the one thing I can't have is freedom, that's the one thing I want. And he, he says to her, it's like, she's like, well, I can leave any time. He's like, well, why don't you? She's like, why would I? And basically she's being held prisoner by, you know, the, the being told that she has everything she needs. So she would never want to leave anyway, but she's given the illusion of freedom and he's trying to get in her head of like, that's the point, you know? And so uh, like she leaves, she also brings out our salt shaker, talks to Dorn, and she leaves. You know, so you get the notion that she's in constant communication with the powers that be. So even though he trusts her, she still has to walk a line. And then there's the bit where he walks outside because uh, because Rally's barking, and he, I honestly believed I thought they had the dog just sitting there. And a, a, someone brought like puppet arms up, like in front of them. Yeah, I was wondering uh, how they did that one. I, I, I don't know. That's a it, it works a because it's an effect. Yeah, it's the dogs actually up against like an invisible invisible barrier. I'm sure it's just some like, pane of glass, but I honestly thought they did like a triumph the insult comic dog where they had the dog there and then some dog arms that they brought up, <laughs> like <laughs> pressed against the glass. But you get the notion that the, this force field can actually be kind of centralized. So Philip's stuck there, and he then this brings me to another amazing moment in this episode where he takes a shovel and tries to break against the barrier that's like the visible barrier and the shovel just crumbles like I how love, do you do that i love that scene like my wife and i are like how the hell did they do that because yeah. it's like a seamless it looked pretty seamless it looked good yeah so um but yeah there's the, the so the whole thing you get the notion that he wants to be out of there and he feels like he is a prisoner because he is but then at some point uh you know uh, rally actually runs past where where it is and he convinces about ellen he's like well i'm gonna leave you know i want you with me and she also says like you know i have this feeling i can't i don't know like i feel sad or whatever she says like how do i get rid of it and he's like basically like you're in love and it's like he's trying to tell her that machines can't make that like all these devices can't bring you this and it's weird that i don't think beaumont was speaking towards 2020 that feels very appropriate it's like you have everything you want at your hand like at your fingertips but you don't have real experience you don't have real love right yeah and then she cries and then like you get the sense that they're together and so he's like well i'm gonna go and steal the secret book and we're gonna get out of here with my car that's suddenly fixed without explanation 
Um, you know, and then we're going to, we're going to hightail it out of here. So he goes to do that and she's sitting in the car ready to go. Yeah. They're, they're ready to go. And he's like, I got to do one more thing. So he takes off into what I assume is their town hall or whatever. And it's unguarded. No one's in there. He, he goes down the, the steps, goes directly into that room again, not locked and goes into, uh, get the book. He grabs the book out of the unlocked cabinet. Well, actually, I take that back for a second. He, he pulls goes, a he pulls a file, file out of the file cabinet. The G file. Yeah, which I I have here. I wrote, and so that some, so here's what's listed on the different file folders: is the duplicating duplicating machine has files, gold ingot, great fireplace, gun thirty eight, police. Yeah, <laughs> he pulls the the sheet out to make a gun happen, and then it, it it produces a gun that is loaded. Yeah. So he, he brings that over to the cabinet and it reaches into the cabinet. And as he he opens the door of the cabinet, there's an alarm that goes off. Yeah, but he grabs the book of secrets. Yeah. The book of yeah, the the Wait, ancient is, Chinese the book secrets, secrets or whatever. Is that, is, it is. that the is that the name of the second player, which is the Book of Shadows? Book, book of Shadows. Shadows. Yeah. <laughs> what, okay. And it's like well, I want to say Book of Secrets is Harry Potter, but that's Chamber of Secrets, right? You <laughs> kind of combine them together. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the burn book from Mean Girls. Anyway, he grabs a book. Yeah, there's some I, stuff I, in he it. He grabs a burn book and then he, he runs up the steps. And then when he's just about to get out to the doorway, um the three gentlemen, Dorn and his his goons, they show up. Um, they try to stop him, and uh, Dorn, or uh, I'm sorry, Philip takes him out. He shoots all three of them coldly and runs out. I wish the one guy had been like, "This hurts more than a letter opener." I wish <laughs> it would have been like, "This is the second time I've died today." Like it just collapses or whatever. Which I know times moved on past then, but yeah. So then he hops in his car with his lady, his sweet lady, and his sweet dog, and he goes to hightail it out of town. And I will give him the credit that he gets to the city limits and purposely slows down. Yeah, he takes this one a little bit yeah. more easy. Yeah. And the car is completely immaculate at this yeah. point. But I also got, he, he, he actually he flipped the lever in the basement to turn the, the force field off or make sure it was off. Why wouldn't you break that console? See, now that was already off, too. Did you yeah, notice yeah, that? it was already off. It was already yeah. off. But why wouldn't you just snap the handle or something to be like, this is going to constantly be down because I'm taking your secret out of here and people are going to find you. So right. if I wreck your machine that you do not know how it works because a science wizard did it 100 years ago, people are coming. You know, right. but it's like he didn't do that. Like, whatever. That's just me thinking now, like, you know, 50 plus years after the fact. But that seems like the tactical thing, right? Right. You want to secure your escape, you know. But anyway, I like that he slows down because he's like, you know, I've done this before. It didn't been, go been well. Here. Don't want to don't want to take that second chance again. <laughs> yeah. So then as, as he goes to stop, he goes, he looks at her and he was like, uh, you know, basically like, I've done some things. She's like, I don't want to know. And then you know, she's like, look at the book. He opens the book and the pages are blank. And I thought for a second, I'm like, there's going to be some kind of secret way to do this. <laughs> like, you know, like only she could read it or whatever. And turns out like the book's a fake. Um, and she brings up her little like teleportation device and makes them disappear and brings them back to the basement to the science basement. And you find out that this was all a test to see if he was actually going to try to leave and to prove his worth because Dorn was torn about like, do we kill somebody that knows the secret? Or basically, he's like, I, I, he's like, I found a way to satisfy everything, and he fi- and and Phil failed the test, and so Dorn has to make the decision of, do we kill him? You know, but he basically says we have to execute you, which that gets a little weird in a second, right? Like, right. So he brings out like this weird salad dish with like knobs on it. I'm like I'm like cool. The, wouldn't that put? Wouldn't you as a prop put that on Philip's head? 
Yeah, there, it's just the way that they just held it above the other machine, like just holding it there. There was no kickstand like for they it put or anything. It, they put it kind of down and aiming at him like 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 a, like a radar dish, but like flipped around the other way. Right. And it's like, no, I don't know. If I was a director, I'd be like, put away his head. Like just it, that it it looks head shaped. Put it on his right. head. But they turn it on, and all of a sudden, you know, like Phil thinks he's going to die, and then it just does like this like jump cut, and he's back in his car, back at the gasoline station. As if it was at the beginning of the episode where he is lost and with his his dog. And he's getting his change back now from the gas station attendant. Yeah. So then at that point, he's like, oh, um, you know, oh, Baradon's back that way. And the station attendant's like, yeah, you're right. And then like, like the dog sees the cat and he's like, no, Raleigh stay. It's like, I don't know if Raleigh did it before. Raleigh's probably going to do it again. But they didn't they didn't put they didn't use the device on Raleigh. In that sense. So I also think he's one of the biggest victims here, too, because, you know, he lived to tell the tale. Just no one could understand a word he was saying. Right. <laughs> like he's seen everything go down and even worse. Yeah. He's seen death. <laughs> Multiple times. Yeah. Um, so so while while Philip is there, like he feels like, oh, I felt like I was asleep for a second or whatever. Ellen shows up and looks at him and like in the distance kind of lovingly, because even though his his brain has been kind of blanked and he's been taken back, which is, it's not, it's not specifically said if they went back in time or if they just wiped his memory. Yeah. It's like a men in black kind of situation. Like, but we don't know if it, they physically went back or they just placed him there. I right. feel like they just placed him there and he's going to come back and be like, why did I lose two months of my life or whatever? Um, you know, and he's like, and why am I still hungry? Uh, but she sees him and he's like, Oh, she looks like someone I know. And he leaves with his dog and everything's fine in that sense. So, the tragedy of this is that he was given everything, but rejected it. She was, she believed that there was something greater out there and, and it was taken away from her, but she made the choice to do that. So she has to bear the burden to the knowledge of what Philip Redfield did know, but he does no longer know. And now the dog ha is so full of like, you know, secrets that no one will ever know, you know? So that, that's your episode is that, like, I don't know if the punishment is for her because there's always the notion that she said she can leave, but now she sees that, like, you know, you can't. I don't know. Like, it's just, the ending's a little a little murky, a little dark, which I don't mind, but I just, I wish there was, like, and again, this is going to be a recurring theme. There's a lot of stuff you could have trimmed out. And in, 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 in Serling's out, outro, he had said that he, uh, Philip will see what he thinks are memories, but only in his dreams. Like, yeah. implying that, he knows something about it, but he can only imagine it in the dreams now, so he'll never know that it was actually a, a real thing. Yeah, I just feel like if the town was like, we need to just re wipe his memory and get him out of here, I feel like Ellen was going to like jeopardize the whole thing, like in the sense of like, well, maybe he'll remember me. It's like, but if he does, then he's going to probably do the same thing again. Right. You know, the so. gas station attendant actually looked kind of like worried for a second, like, oh, what's yeah. going on here? So, yeah, that's that's the episode. It's... It's a weird one, um, and so um, we'll, I'll get to some of the trivia here in a second, but for an episode that has a disappearing, reappearing dog, a uh, dog that was killed by impact from an invisible force wall and then brought back to life, uh, someone getting stabbed in the chest and then being brought back, like for all these amazing things in this episode, it still went about it the most boring way possible, and that was frustrating because there's things I'm like, 
yeah, let's let's bring on the dog disappearing and reappearing. That's great. It's like that's some Tommy Knocker stuff going on there from like the the Stephen King book, right? Like the local towns they have access to tech they shouldn't, and there's weird things going on. And the invisible force field, it's like that's amazing. And then some dude just got stabbed. There's so many things in this. I'm like, that's an amazing idea. And then somehow, oh, then also magically appearing ham sandwiches, which I'm a fan of. Like that like there's so much weird stuff in here that I should love this more, but I feel like he's keep getting muddled and like these philosophic conversations, which are right to be had. It just brings down the episode. I can see that yeah. it, 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 with the episode, especially for the first part of it seems at a breakneck pace. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much that happens from the get go. Like as soon as he gets into peaceful Valley, it's on. Yeah. And then it just kind of stops whenever he's like, Dorn's like, you will not understand any of this. Let me now show you everything and explain it. You know, right. that was just frustrating. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you have any more notes about like the story or anything about the episode. I have, I have some trivia. I, I, I have some trivia, but okay. that's about it. So, um, we're going to see that dirt road, uh, that they're traveling on a, a future episode of season four. Great. I'm sure we'll be like, Oh, that's from Valley of shadow. I'll be like, Ugh, you know, uh, the cellar doors that are seen in the background uh, during the gas station stuff um, is the same one Buster Keaton entered in in the episode Once Upon a Time, just which was the hundredth episode of the Twilight Zone. Just to just to mention that they reuse some sets, which makes sense. Uh, the general store that Redfield parks in front of uh, that's near the diner is the same storefront from Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. God damn it, you know. So <laughs> and that, that's my first tip off. I'm like, I know that storefront, you know. So great. Um, the disassembler props were from 1956 forbidden planet that, which is the, that movie and its props get used a lot in twilight zone. Um, I also added here that the cheese sandwich was from 1956 is forbidden planet. That's probably not true. <laughs> um, the cat was from 1956 is forbidden planet. Also probably not true. Um, those are, I, I can't verify those, but I like the idea. It's like, we have this cheese sandwich. You know what? We're going to keep it. We never know. Like so. We're just going to throw some ham on it, and we're going to put it on a plate, and we're good. Yeah. And the last thing I have here is that James Doohan is the third uh, original Star Trek cast member to be on the show. Um, the last, the fourth one that will show up, I think, in the season five is George Takei. So, so far we had uh, Bill Shatner um, and, uh, um, shoot. Leonard Nimoy? Is well, Leonard Nimoy was in Equality of Mercy. And uh, Shatner was in um, Nick of Time, and we'll see him again in uh, season five with the Wing Walker episode. So, for a show that I knew knew Shatner was in, I didn't realize these other guys were in it. So that's kind of cool. So I wish we had more James doing. I wish, yeah, I wish he had more to do with this because I liked his performance. Yeah, his his spot in this show was like very small and not like not enough. We needed yeah. more doing. Um, so I have that the the title of the the, the episode is taken from uh, Psalm twenty three verse four, the Bible. I'm not familiar that yeah you know, I've heard that it's a pretty big selling thing. Mel Gibson made some movies about it or a movie about it. Okay, well yeah. he want I think he wanted to do a sequel actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even joking. I heard something about a sequel. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, the Passion of the Christ to you know. Mm. Uh, Christ hard. I don't know. What Produced it is. by Asylum. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You can find it next to Titanic 2. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the newspaper uh, that states that Stalin is dead, uh, it's from, the date is March 6, 1953. Now, I looked up to fact check that he, from what I saw, and I could be wrong, he did die on March 6, 1953. Oh, okay. So, but that means how did they print the paper 
on the day that he died. Like, well, I mean, you got to think that was over in Europe, and so news came through, and that they printed an American newspaper. They're probably like eight to ten hours behind. So that I could see, you know, okay. like in terms of like you, with news services and things, you know, I'm sure they sent stuff. So I don't doubt the speed of news, especially when it comes to like World War II or or not even World War II. That was '53, so after, you know, so. Doesn't surprise me, maybe, you know, but yeah, that's at least they got the date right. It wasn't like, oh, he died seven years later. I'm like, why is that newspaper? Exist? I, I, I you know? just had to fact check it. I'm no, like, no. Uh, thank you, because I didn't I didn't bother to fact check. I'm like, well, I know he is dead. <laughs> like, yeah, he, like, it happened. The, I'm like, whatever happened with that World War II? How'd that work out? Like, you know, did, <laughs> did we make it? I don't know. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just so with this episode, the notion that you have a reporter that's being presented like this, basically like this, this weird scenario that he, he can ask enough questions and then find out this information that he's not allowed to reveal is interesting. Having the internal character of Ellen being like the one that lived in this, this whole thing. And she's seeing the potential for an outside world. I didn't even get to the whole bit where Philip as a reporter was like, you know, with these machines, you could feed the world and you guys are keeping this from people. So isn't that more cruel? Like basically questioning their mission. Of like, and yeah. That. And she, is frustrated because she's like, that's not true. He's like, it is true. And it's like, um, if he wasn't a reporter, that would be, I'm not saying that people at that time couldn't be aware of these situations, but the fact that he is a reporter shows that he should be actively aware of what's going on. You know? So I like that notion that he's actually questioning the whole moral argument of it. So that's, that's cool. I like that. And then, and then Dorn has his own moral like quandaries too, about like how to handle things. Like, you know, he's like, you know, if we kill this guy, then are we any better than the ones that we say we're keeping the secret from? And, but I hate the idea. He's like, I found a way to, to exterminate him. And it's like, you, you brain wiped him. You didn't kill him. He's able to go forward. Choose a different word when you're going to bring out the salad bowl of doom. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> salad like, bowl of doom. Yeah. So yeah, it, he said, yeah, he says like that he had been looking over their laws and he had basically found like a way to keep both sides happy in a sense. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, there's a lot here I like. There's some good ideas. It's just like, um, yeah. I don't know. I just, it just, I wish there was either get weirder. Or or pull it back to where there's more mystery. I feel like there should have been like one of the two, one or the other. Um, I, I can see that. And I, yeah. I I like the the play with the morality and and what what they're basically holding off from the rest of the world. It just makes you think more about what people do have, like the people that have and the people that don't, and then like what their logic is yeah. behind it. It brings that to light a little bit more. And um, you know, it's like. I, I, I like that this episode had a lot more going on in it. It seems like we went from an episode like 30,000 Phantom Grave, which just had to be stretched out as much yeah, as yeah, possible. That's fair. And this one is just like there's so much going on so quickly. You get right to the plot, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I just also his motivations. I wrote in my notes here. I forgot to mention you get a ham sandwich machine, a free house, an attractive neighbor that wants you and your dog isn't dead. Why would you leave? And then I was like. Oh, there's no internet. I'm I'm out. Like I'd be like, yeah, you get oh, I get all this stuff. I'm like, oh, I can't play video games with other people. I'm I can't do this. I'm out. Like, <laughs> yeah, you get to your hotel room and it's not free Wi-Fi. You're, You're like, like no, nope, nope. I don't care. Don't care how many sandwiches and hot ladies I get. I got to get out of here. Yeah. You know, like I need I need to check sports scores. Like not from when Stalin was alive. You know, so uh, no, like this one was fine. Then like there's elements in here that. And it's just, I, I think that if people want to watch Twilight Zone in order, as we've been doing, um, there's there's some moments of like, wow, they did this. And just to know that, like, 
I don't think they could have got away with stabbing somebody in the chest in like fifty nine and sixty. Like, yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty gruesome and sudden. Yeah, you know, like and so jarring for that kind mm. of a type of TV, you know. Yeah, so so there's things about it I like, and I don't think the performances are bad in this episode. I just think that as a script, they weren't given enough to deal with. I think, um, I, like I said, I think the guy who played uh, Philip uh, Phillips or Philip Red Redfield. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was okay. Um, I think um, David Potato Shoe. I think he was good as Dorn. I liked him as Dorn a great deal. I know that's not his name, but that's what we'll call him. And I wish Natalie Trundy was given more because she ends up in that kind of like helpless woman, like always being saved. But they they at least gave her a little bit that she had a little bit of range. So I liked her performance, and I could see why people were kind of earmarking her for bigger things. Yeah, I, I think that the the three main characters that we see throughout the majority of this episode do their their jobs very well. The, the only person that I feel is like completely disjointed in this is Connolly. He just looks like Frankenstein's <laughs> monster <laughs> just standing there. Like, what is this dude's purpose? Yeah, he looks like he looks like Chris Christie. <laughs> like he's yeah, like, yeah. He, he's With like, a little bit more hair. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, it's just like he's just like a jowl machine is what he is. You know. Um, but yeah. So I, yeah. It, there you go. Um, I, I, middle of the road, not not the worst thing. And there were some moments of like, really, we're doing this. No. Like I, I was excited for that. So well, since I've only been on three episodes to this point, um, it's the best for me. <laughs> I, I know there's not much to compare. Well, to, I was but... gonna say, please, if you could just if you could rank your Lafferty episodes one yeah. through three. <laughs> Lafferty's uh, third installment for me is the better of the three right now. Uh, I did like the other two in their own ways, but. I felt like this was a more solid episode for my my interest and what I would have liked. And it's interesting that, that the two, the other, so you got uh, a Beaumont one with his image, uh, 30 Fathom Grave with Serling, and then uh, Valley of the Shadow with Beaumont. But Valley of the Shadow and his image are both biblical references. Right. And they both deal with those type of themes. That's, I mean, Beaumont always was trying to twist and turn. Like, so I thought that it's like, I wasn't expecting this kind of lean in, but, you know, I, I like Beaumont. And I'm, but so the thing with Beaumont though that 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 you may not be aware is that as he got like he got hit by like a really weird like um, disease that they didn't quite classify that really just tore him down like uh, his mental capacity and everything real fast like right. real fast and there was a like there was a bit there where uh, people were ghostwriting some of his stuff just to make sure he got money so. You, you wonder where that break point is because he still has more episodes coming in like, you know, in later season two that you wonder if this is just people trying to get him more work to, to take care of his medical stuff. So I don't know where that happens. So, but based upon his earlier work, I like Beaumont a great deal. And I like that he gets, he's not afraid to get weird. Like we now have two episodes that we've seen so far this season that deal with the extremes of technology that, you know, they almost feel like, you know, black and white mirror as opposed to black mirror, you know, like that's what, it, um, so I, I appreciate the weirdness and this, again, I'm not going to begrudge ever watching an episode of twilight zone and, and season four is going to be, it's going to be an odd, an odd thing. And there's just parts here. I like, it's just, there was frustrating things. Like I didn't need all the over explanations. Didn't need that. You know, if the townspeople to understand how, how those things exist, then why should they bother trying to explain how they work to everybody else? You know, like, I don't know, whatever. And also, do you ha like if you have that particular sheet of paper that's a ham sandwich with like mustard or mayonnaise? Like, do you just have variants of that, or you just like move one line? It's like I don't want mustard, like, or I want, I want brown mustard. I want 
Cleveland Stadium mustard. Like, how do you adjust that? Yeah, I how want it you... on wheat. Yeah. I want Swiss. And you know, if you look at those, like they're like the way those lines are set up, you just wonder if there's like a blank sheet that you can just take lines and just draw them, whatever, and be like, I don't know what this is going to make. Let's find out. Like, I just, you know. Yeah, like a rhinoceros comes out. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I also thought, I thought it'd be funny if like he puts the, if he put the thing in for the gun and that the gun's just actually like, it, it actually just shoot, shoots like, like cheese. Like it does. It's like, <laughs> it's it, easy like, cheese. It, it's like, it gets, it gets kind of stuck halfway between gun and cheese sandwich. Like, I would love it. <laughs> where they're like, that's good. That gun's not even real. And they grab it from him and they take a bite. They're like, ha everything's a sandwich here. Like, yeah, call IT. It's <laughs> yeah, it's making sandwiches again, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, look at that typewriter, it doesn't even work. It's a, just a cheese sandwich. I would that's the that's the world I want to see. You like your house? It's not gonna stay around for a while. It's just a cheese sandwich. Um <laughs> yeah. Uh so anyway, let's yeah. I, I don't have any more thoughts about the episode. Let's uh I think there's two twists to this, so we'll we'll just we'll try to rate the twist. Um and where's that button? Here it is. So if the twist is that, um, you know, that everything would basically reset at the end, I'd give that a three because I feel like that's an easy way out for all this. Uh, having an episode with zapping dogs out of existence, invisible force walls, and a ham sandwich printer be very dull. I'm giving that twist a five. That's That's frustrating to me. And also someone getting stabbed in the heart. And it's like, you have all these things, and I'm not interested in this episode. That's not a twist. That's just that's just personal preference. That I am blown away that I am not entertained by all that. So I don't know where you think the twist is. And if the twist is Ellen remembers everything, take, takes the burden. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I think the 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 two twists for me are really like the fact that they leaded him into the whole scenario, like wanted to test him and see what he would actually have done. And I give that kind of a like a three. It, that's the highest I can really go on that because it, some of that stuff was very noticeable, like the forest field being off. It's like they were almost and, and leading. That, him that down was good that for road. you to point that out because it was obvious, and I mean, you know, obviously I looked at it, but it, it's I didn't put that together that that was the lead up. Which I mean, in hindsight, you realize that they're setting him up to yeah. to fail, right? Because they was the test, and then but, giving him all the information to him, it's showing him how easy it is to get to that that book with all the information in it. You know, it's just like it's just too easy, and it's like no, this is this is gonna be something that it's too easy for him to get and get out of there, and then yeah, I, it was true. Yeah, so that's three fair. three is as high as I could go. It's like I kind of could see it all, but I'm like, how is it gonna pan out? And then the other twist for me would be his inevitability in the end, like what happens to him, uh, and him waking back up in the car. I kind of didn't see that, so okay. I, I give that a four. Honestly, okay. perfect. Okay. All right, so look at that. Some some division among us, you know, and then what what will happen is Terry does not know. I'm going to bring out a salad bowl right now and put it in front of him and make a high-pitched noise, and he's going to be like, did we just talk about the episode? Like, yes, you gave that twist a three, but like, I thought I did. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> and then we'll have printed ham sandwiches. What's going to happen? And let's just put, I have a 3D printer in my office, and I've probably mentioned it before on the show, and it's, it's, it's directly to the right of Terry. And if he's seen anything I've printed, um, don't trust me to print a ham sandwich. It would become the stuff of nightmares. They'd be like, "What? What was this pimento?" I'm like, "Maybe I don't know. Like, it's not even a ham sandwich. Like, yeah, it would be, this it is would, goose liver, dude. It's like, oh, I, I don't know. We'll just enjoy. I think there's a gold ingot in here. I'm like, maybe and a policeman's gun. I don't know. So, all right, um, that's going to do it for uh, Valley of the Shadow. 
so uh, before we talk about the next episode, and this will tie back to the beginning, and I'll, I'll say why. You guys can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, you can um, you can find us our, our Gmail address is Strange Highways Podcast at Gmail. Uh, more people are liking the page and they're following us, and it's wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been great. Hope you guys have been enjoying the content. I know these episodes have been a little weird in terms of just the episodes we're watching, but stick with it. I think we're going to have a lot of fun through season four. Yeah. And please go to, uh, you know, Stitcher and uh, wherever you get your podcast review us, please. It helps us out quite a bit. And, uh, we'd love to see your feedback on how we're doing. If it's a bad review, you know, we'll take that criticism too. And we'll really work with it and try to give you a better product. Yeah. They're going to be like, I'm, I'm actually the great grandson of Peter Lafferty. And how dare you is what's going to happen. You know? And he'll be like, we had steaks every day. You do not know what's going on. He promised and delivered every time yeah, you son every of a time. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> One star, you know. So, all right. So next episode, it's called He's Alive. Uh, Dennis Hopper is in it. What? As a Nazi. As like a neo-Nazi. Oh. <laughs> like, What? That's pretty yeah. wild, man. So that ties back to what I was like when I was talking about the story of uh, Hermione Brownsteiner, you know, uh, you know. So, oh, I see. Yeah, I was the like, oh, look now. at that. Yeah, like, uh, and then you know, the stomping mare. So, hmm. um, yeah, uh, and I and I watched this episode again on on uh, when I was watching on CBS All Access because I, I I stupidly signed up for another month. Not not because the service is bad, but it's like I already have Hulu with the the episodes. But so on at the tail end of of the CBS All Access episodes, they actually play the Serling bit at the end where he introduces the next teases the next episode and they showed a bit of it like a little bit of a trailer and you see Dennis Hopper wearing like full-on regalia like and it's the imagery is a little different and I'm sure we'll find out why but it's like oh that's a young Dennis Hopper looking like a Nazi I don't like that at all you know that's weird you know but I'll read the intro here <clears throat> We move next on Twilight Zone into the shadowy area that treads a very thin line between flesh and fantasy. You'll see a performance by Dennis Hopper that even from my rather very close in perspective strikes me as an exceptional one. Our story is called He's Alive, and if this doesn't get you where you live, you'll find it close by in the suburbs. I hate that that intro still is really uh, resonating in 2020. So... You know, I have my suspicions about who's alive. That feels like that's a twist that I might see coming, but I still want to see. This is going to be, this is a Serling one. When he gets on his soapbox with some of his message episodes, they're either amazing or they're terrible. Because uh, the message, his his intent's never bad. It's just sometimes he brings he brings a really heavy hand sometimes. So we'll see how he deals with this. I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. No idea this was coming. No idea Dennis Hopper was in the Twilight Zone. I had no idea either. So yeah. this is going to be a treat. Yeah, and and more Nazis, which seems to be a thing that shows up all the time in the Twilight Zone. You know, with reason. <laughs> like, so welcome Terry to your first Nazi episode of the Twilight Zone. Uh, so yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. I hope you I hope you watch the episode of Valley of Shadow. Um, and uh, in the meantime, uh, just take it easy. Um, pet your dog um, because you know they they need to be loved and not disappeared and then slammed into invisible walls. And also, I don't know, maybe you're a little hungry after this episode, and just maybe just print yourself up a sandwich. Yeah, and uh, don't run into any force fields.
here's something. On this card, we have a statement giving the atomic structure of a ham sandwich on white bread with mustard. Of course, we have larger machines for the bulkier items, but this will give you an idea. I believe you said you were hungry, Mr. Redfield. Well, not anymore. 